It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Gary Archer. Gary has only had four jobs in his lifetime, a job doing grunt work for a cabinet maker for three months, a tour guide in Costa Rica for nine months, a cashier for Kmart for a year, and an indoor soccer employee for 28 years at Let's Play Sports. He's president of that organization that owns and operates indoor soccer facilities across the U.S. with 24 locations in 10 states. The company has grown from a single location in 1986, earning less than $300,000 per year and employing about 20 people, to over $15 million in 2019, employing 300 and subcontracting an additional 500 people. Gary Archer, welcome into the corner office. Brent, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, wow. It's great to have you here. And it's so wonderful to be able to have another C12 uh, CEO in our program. As I think I mentioned before we got started, I think you're number 15 or 16 and uh, growing every day. We're uh, very excited about bringing your message uh, about your career journey and importantly, how Christ had an impact on that. But let's start a little bit about your early years. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and you know what your early family life was like. Sure. No, I'll tell you, uh, I was actually born in Pennsylvania. I don't remember much about that. And uh, my parents had moved me to uh, Tucson, Arizona. I think I start remembering things right around kindergarten, but I spent most of my, I guess, would you say formative years uh, in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, And, you know, I think a lot going on there. My parents were very committed to me uh, personally. Mm -hmm. uh, My my, uh, sister and I, they attended all of our sporting events, right? Nice. Supported us through school, all of those types of things. But I yep. will say- Younger like, sister, older sister? Oh, older by two yeah. years. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I would say the one thing uh, is, is that, you know, God wasn't a presence in our home yeah. other than my grandmother uh, who lived with us as well. She was a devout believer and- uh, Maternal uh, or paternal grandmother? Uh, it's maternal. Yeah, she yeah, was maternal. Yeah. So yeah, uh, we share that story. My yeah. my grandmother also was a devout believer. And yeah, incredible and, influence on my life. Yeah, yeah and I, I didn't know at the time that she was yeah, such right, a good influence right, on exactly. my life. Right, it was one of those <laughs> afterthoughts later yep. because uh, mostly it was you know, ah, grandma, you know, I don't want to do that, and you know that kind of thing. So uh, my parents didn't really force church or do anything like that. Sure. And, 
Christ wasn't a central tenant in our lives. And so I just kind of drifted from there. So, yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about what your parents did. Uh, were they professionals, gone to college, et cetera? What, what were their uh, professions? So neither of my parents actually graduated from college. I know my okay. mom was studying to be a nurse in Georgetown uh, University when she met my dad, but uh, you know they ended up getting married and she didn't finish that. Uh, dad was uh, just a consummate salesperson his whole mm-hmm. life. Um, he worked for, oh, what can I remember? I remember he worked for the Chamber of Commerce selling uh, subscriptions or business, you know, people to uh, enlist in the Chamber of Commerce. So yeah. he would do that. I remember driving around with him in the car and visiting different small businesses all over the country, right? Just all over right. well, his region of Arizona and uh, and him doing, I didn't really understand what that was, but I just knew I got to hang out with my dad and we'd go fishing. Um yeah. Yeah, it was fun. And then my mom worked uh, for the Bell system, right? You know, Ma okay. Bell and all that. Sure. And, you know, eventually yeah. those things got broken up and she ended right. up with, uh, I think it was, she finished with a company called Quest, I think was the name of the company there. And, right. One um, of the seven sisters. I that's think, right. There you go. Right. There you go. So yeah, so they, she did a lot of customer service, answering the phones, uh, dealing with uh, customer service kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, I, didn't, yeah. I, I would go visit her at her office sometimes, but mostly just to grab lunch. No, I didn't really have a very good idea around what she did, at least not as much as what my dad right. did. So, any inspirational, uh, you know, uh, memories from from mom and dad in those early years? Things they might have said to you, or behavior that you noticed. You know, only that um, their dedication to just making sure that we, uh, you mm-hmm. know, were provided for, or yeah. you know, we that we could, if it, if we wanted to do something like a sport or something like that, they were one hundred percent behind us. I mean, you know, we, we I, I I have you know, two daughters, myself and a son and, and now a grandson. And, uh, you know, mm. I look at the commitment that my parents had for, especially for soccer, for me, uh, the travel, all the expense and all the things that went with it. And I look at my kids right now and think, gosh, I don't know if I have, <laughs> if I could even afford that amount of time. So, uh, God bless me with two young girls and they, uh, they, they just, you know, a bit of a heartbreak for me considering what we do being a soccer company, but, um, they no interest in soccer at all. So no interest. Not, I was going to say, yeah. are they soccer players or no, they've gone the no. other direction? <laughs> yeah, they completely did, which is fine with me. I just, uh, it was the, the older, uh, Clea's are older and she played for a little bit and enjoyed it just, uh, just kind of as for fun, right. Never right. got too committed or, uh, into it. So yeah, I thought it, it's, you know, you can always tell God has a sense of humor sometimes, right? I have. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We're well, the, when did you come to Christ, Gary? And, and what role did he play in your upbringing? Oh, yeah. So um, very late in life. I was 29 when mm-hmm. that actually okay. happened. And so um, the, uh, yeah, that was, that was just, that's an interesting story unto itself. So um, I'll be brief. You know, I was finishing, I'd, I'd never finished college. I did the, I got the opportunity to do the tour guide thing, right? Uh, in the middle of uh, my college career. So I just stopped, did that, and then came and started working for the soccer company again and right. was just too busy to finish college. And uh, and the company started uh, having some troubles financially and such. And uh, I was in Houston and, uh, you know, I had, uh, I had, I came along some, but because of a flood, right? Like, so let's just, let's just count the times that God was in this. And there was a mm-hmm. flood. I got some money from a car that I wasn't expecting that got flooded and they gave me quite a big check for that. And instead of going, buying a bigger, nicer car, a friend of mine had recommended that I go to college. Uh, mm-hmm. I returned, uh, you know, wanting to have a private school education. Cause at the time I thought that was better. I didn't, you know, I didn't really know. And so I right. uh, went to the university of St. Thomas, uh, okay. in, uh, in, in Houston, Texas. What, yeah. And this is where I met God, right? Was at mm. this college. And I went in thinking, I'm going to do everything I can to not 
believe in God. I know these people are going to try and get me to believe in God, and I'm going to do everything I can to not believe in God. But, um, you know, that's a fruitless— He had other plans, it sounds like. absolutely true. And so um, I think the thing that finally uh, pushed me over was— I'd always had, you know, I think whether you're a believer in God or not, you find some uh, some solid uh, concepts or beliefs in your life that you kind of live your life by. And one of them that I lived my life by had always had been, you know, find people that have great qualities that you admire right. and hang around those types of people. But yeah. the problem with that is, is if you're basing that on man, then you're always going to have massive amounts of flaws. And so finding someone that's perfect is impossible. Mm. And I remember sitting on the... <laughs> This is so hilarious. I remember sitting on the, on the, uh, um, in the college, just sitting in the between the library and the, um, and the chapel that day, and I just remember thinking, yeah, gosh, that's a great idea. I wish I could just find somebody that didn't commit any sin and that you know was perfect. And I remember thinking, like, well, let, let me. And this is how long it took me. I was like, well, let's go back through history. That person doesn't actually have to be alive if I could actually study that person. That would be good. And then I'm like, Gandhi, no, you know, Abraham Lincoln, no, you know, just kind of going through. It. I'm like maybe I should consider this Jesus Christ guy. And so then I start considering that and I'm like, you know what? I think I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm going to do that. I believe in Jesus Christ. And that was it right there. And I remember that moment very particularly. I don't remember the exact time, day, that kind of thing, but I do You came to it on your own, literally just through your own. uh, Wow. Yeah. Just deduction. And and, uh, what I remember mostly too, my wife always talks about this. What I remember is how I felt up Mm. until that point in my life. I always felt like I had to look over my shoulder. I had so much apprehension, you know, just, you know, uh, just a lot of things, a lot of worry in my life. And that moment, Mm. When I, it just released, I felt a sense of peace and it's never left me. I mean, it's, I've I always think we felt call that, that the Holy Spirit. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He came <laughs> upon me that day. So. He came on you immediately. Yeah, it, it sounds was, like. It's, yeah. I, I can't even, I can't even fathom the difference between prior and, and after. And it's nice. I mean, that's an awesome story. Gary. It is. Yep. It was wonderful. I love it. Well, did you, so you said you didn't finish your college. What, what, what were you studying uh, at um, that time? I did at that time. So that was, I came back, it was like 28 okay. and I finished uh, before I turned 30. So I got a, a bachelor's in business administration. So, oh, but yeah. though uh, I'd been doing a lot of the work that, uh, that they were training me to do anyway. So I don't think I really not, uh, hate to say this about the college. They were great. It was a wonderful college. Um, but I would say the thing I learned the most was obviously I got a relationship with Jesus Christ. And yeah. that was the biggest thing I took away from that. That, that was worthy of the investment. Yeah, sounds like. I think so too. I think so too. <laughs> were you a good student in school, high school, as well as college? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was a great student until girls showed up and then, you know, and then it was just kind of like <laughs> the being cool. Yeah, just trying to be sure. cool and just hanging out right about the, you know, so I didn't apply myself as better as I could, but I always managed to get B's and B's and A's. I think I just, you know, I managed to get in there. Well, you have a love for sports and we'll get to that in your, your current career in a minute, but uh, growing up, were you, uh, you know, uh, an athlete or did you pursue music, theater, what other types of things were you doing uh, outside of class? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, uh, I think I'm the type of person that's like, uh, this is good and bad, right? So I like, if there's something I enjoy doing, I want to be really good at that something. Right. And so uh, that limits the amount of some things that you do when you're trying to become really good at something. And so uh, growing up, I played baseball. I played mm-hmm. football and I played soccer and that was it uh-huh. because yeah. the focus was, I just want to be as good as I possibly can. And uh, I ended up sticking with soccer just because, uh, it was what I was best at. Now I did, I did do theater when I was in school and I even took that as far as college the first, my first round of college, if you will. Right. And, uh, and, uh, it was a choice then the same thing. It always comes down to a choice. It's like, okay, you're on the soccer team. Here's the time and commitment you need to do that. And if you want to be in the theater group, here's the time and commitment you can do that. These things collide 
soccer has to win, you got the scholarship for that. So, so I ended up stopping at that point for that too. What about entrepreneurial things? Where I, I, you know, we talked a little bit about some of your earlier jobs uh, before yeah. you got into soccer. But uh, you know, did you do the uh, ubiquitous paper route or mowing lawns growing up and so forth? Was that no. kind of part of your spirit? No, I think, uh, you know, I think I was just a lazy sort as a child. (laughs) My parents were always so surprised at how well I took to uh, responsibility when I finally had to have it. Um, They were very surprised by that. They said that multiple times to me because they just thought, ah, we just thought you're going to be that kid that was just going to be with us until you're in your 40s. uh, (laughs) Failure Uh, to launch. Yeah, 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 that kind of thing. And so that's what they thought. But I mean, once I got uh, my very first job, even when I was working for the, um, uh, the cabinet place where I was just doing a bunch of grunt work, uh, it just, I just felt a sense of responsibility to the other people there to do my job really well. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I never had a lot of entrepreneurial spirit or anything like that. Uh, but I definitely had a draw towards leadership through soccer right. and, and, uh, and in the roles that I had, I always kind of moved up and, uh, enjoyed being in charge. I think that was something I always enjoyed doing. Tell us Gary a little bit about some of those earlier jobs, but before you got into soccer. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, accidentally, I mean, the, the, the first job was with Kmart and, um, you know, that was just something I got through school. I was in a, sure. a group called DECA, right. And, uh, they, you have to get a job as part of it. So I got this job at Kmart and <clears throat> it definitely wasn't a primary concern for me. I was pretty responsible for it, but it seems like everything at some point in time, there was a conflict between the job and soccer and I always chose soccer. So I right. remember trying to get a schedule changed or something for me, uh, because we had a state final or something that I had to go to and nobody would switch schedules with me. So I just didn't show up to work. Right. I called in and said, I'm not coming. And they, they ended up terminating me right there. So right. I was just like, you know, choice between that and soccer. I was like, I think I'm going to take the state championship thing. So we All didn't right. win either. So <laughs> it's, <not> like, <laughs> it's probably the wrong move, but well, you had anyway. the dedication. It sounds like that's right. And that's then, right. and then you came across, uh, your current role, um, gosh, was it almost 30 years ago, right? When, oh, did you, yeah. when did you first get involved in, in uh, Let's Play Soccer? Yeah, I mean, the the story of that really harkens back to my dad. So my dad really probably was more of an entrepreneur than I was. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. he opened up an indoor soccer facility in Tucson, Arizona, because we love playing soccer so much. And at the time, indoor soccer, actually, if you look back on it, indoor soccer itself was... It was an amazing uh, professional sport for quite a few years, even uh, rivaling the NBA had uh, attendance and those kinds of things that were greater than the NBA in the, in the seventies and eighties. Anyway, so everybody, everybody in the world of soccer in the eighties, really kind of the the future of soccer in, in, in the United States was indoor. And so we were always playing, uh, but we always had to travel to Phoenix and my dad opened up one in Tucson, Arizona. And he opened that in 1987. And my dad is an amazing salesperson, but as far as, you know, operating a business that wasn't necessarily his strong suit. So right. from 1987 till about 1991, uh, my dad did every, I always like to tell people, my dad did everything he did to try and run that business into the ground. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and we, we come across this gentleman in, uh, in 1991 named Tom Higginson, who's actually the founder of let's play sports. And Tom comes in, he's a very candid individual and just says, you know, you guys really suck at running this business, but <laughs> you had the heart uh, for it. Just right, the operational right. Yeah. He says like, you, but you just need some guidance on like what to yeah. do and how to do it. And I have that ability. So now, and how, I know how you guys old were you at bad. the time? 18 years old you were 18? when he showed up. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I was 18 yeah. when he showed up and he said, so he basically, and I remember having conversations very, very clearly remember in, in the living room, I could remember even the smells of talking about mm. what, uh, things like, um, uh, you know, bankruptcy was, right? Personal family bankruptcy and what that meant and what that was going to look like and all those types of things. I remember having these conversations. And then then Tom comes along and says, 
look, you guys suck at this. And you did some good things, right? Choosing where to go, that kind of stuff. But right. one of the things, you know, he's going to teach us the operations and he said, all I'm looking for is 50% of your business huh. to do that. And I mean, we were losing. So it's like 50% of zero. Yeah, of nothing is nothing. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good. Right. So we can do 50% of zero. So, so we went, we took him up on the offer and that was in 1991. Uh-huh. And to his credit, he, he, he was very good at systems and operations and even sales. He just, oper- he formalized everything. And so it wasn't very fast. It w- I mean, it wasn't very long, 1991 to 1994. My dad was able to fully retire. He retired. Um, awesome. And, uh, and, and then you know, I started was Tom working with running Tom. this franchise. I mean, was he running the operation already? He became a franchisee or what oh, was yeah, the relationship? No, he started it bootstrap grounds up kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ran his own facility, long story there, but yeah, he was already running uh, five or six locations. Okay. And he uh, c- continued with those and then kind yep. of helped you and your dad. Yep. Yeah. And he uh, added us yeah. on and he would do exactly yeah. what he did with us. He would just go find local people in a market sure. and he'd partner with them to run a facility and he'd just do that in a lot of markets. And so yeah. Yeah, he was pretty, smart. Su- he was pretty smart, very successful guy. Um, I, I owe a lot of what I learned from him. Uh, and, and then I was obviously very loyal to him because as I got older at 18, I don't think I realized this, but I do now. Tom, very savvy in real estate and he could have, he could have waited, right? He could have waited right. and he could have picked that business up or could have just picked the assets of the business up for, you know, pennies on the dollar. But, uh, but I don't know, he, he chose to help. And, uh, and for that, I was ever forever loyal to him. And so from there, that's kind of, I spent pretty much the rest of my career with him, um, with the exception of that stint where I was in Costa Rica. And it's like, you know, when you're 20 and you have an opportunity to be a tour guide in Costa Rica, you kind of take that opportunity, (laughs) right? So, um, and I I needed to see, right. I've always felt like that the soccer thing was something that my dad did and that, you know, and it was expected for me to continue to do that. And, you know, as, as I was such a mess when I was younger too, I mean, until I was 29, I didn't have anything straightened out. So, um, I, those are the, uh, those are just, years of darkness in my life. So bad decisions, just lots of stuff that I did wrong. And, uh, and so, but I don't know, I think the decision to go to Costa Rica was a good one. And uh, I was there for like nine months and realized, wow, I really do want to, um, proceed and, and, and be part of let's play sports. And, and so that's when I came back to the United States and I've been working with them ever since. Right. Now was Tom kind of in between you and your dad's age, uh, yeah, actually, he's yeah. about 20 years older than me. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, so that's, he's, he's 20 years my senior and really significant mentor in my life. So yeah. from that, especially from that point forward, I had, once I finished up, I, I did a management position with him after my dad retired in 94, but that was right. very short, um, right until about 95. And then I went and did the Costa Rica thing, 94, 95. And then I came back, uh, you know, nine months isn't that long. And, um, but it's enough to have a baby. And I was back in the United States in Houston and working okay. with Tom and, that's when him and I really started, uh, you awesome. know, relationship what, got good. What were some of the earliest uh, leadership lessons you learned from Tom in those days? <laughs> well, Tom is, uh, Tom's very unique, right? I mean, uh, here's somebody else who didn't go to college, didn't graduate mm. with a degree or anything like that, but super smart, super good at making uh, the complex simple, right? He could, you know, he could keep things really simple and he would, uh, he's just, he just had a phenomenal ability to systematize things. I mean, he mm-hmm. ran a, 300 plus real uh, 300 plus uh you know properties that he owned in real estate and he didn't even have a management company he was smart he did things like okay your rent is going to be you know 356 and one penny and my rent is going to be 356 and two pennies and then you know somewhere in the middle of the month he'd go down to the bank he'd get a printout and then he'd just read it like okay uh, two, five, seven, six, and then he'd send out, you know, eviction notices to the people that hadn't paid kind of thing. So he just had a way to systematize everything and simplify yeah. it and permit costs. And he, that's one of the things I learned from him was just yeah. keep it simple 
And then the other thing that he was really good at was stay focused on the thing that you're really, really good at. So mm-hmm. he always was a big uh, believer in, hey, what is the thing, you know, way before, I heard that from him way before I ever read Jim Collins' mm-hmm. book, Good to Great, yeah. which is you got to be, you can only be the best at one thing in your life probably. Yeah. And that's where you need to spend your time and focus. And for yeah. us, it was always, we're the best at soccer leagues. We're not the yeah. best at all these yeah. other things. And so his, yeah. the focus on, Figure out what you are the can be great at or the best in the world you potential to do that and do that was kind of right. two of the things. So. so so when dad retired, then did you come take over as president or was Tom kind of in that role? How did your relationship evolve? When, yeah, when dad, my dad was never president other than the facility there in um, right. Tucson. But yeah, yeah. Um, so long story on the on how I became to do the role of, uh, of, of that, right? So uh, fast forward. To, you know, 2002 is when I became a believer and right around the time that I graduated from college, Let's Play Sports uh, in 2000 had decided to do an IPO. It was just, it was a no, mess. That was Tom's organization. Then, yeah. Right? Let's okay, Play Sports is, is yeah. Tom was the, the CEO and CEO president. CEO and, and primary mm-hmm. owner, I presume. Yeah. And at the time I'd been just, you know, going around, I, I became kind of the number two in that Previously, anytime he opened a new location, he would go and he'd be the one to open it, hire everybody to do that. And then I had that uh, experience when I when I came and I opened up the Houston store. And then I just, you know, since I had that experience, he continuously used me for that as we oh, were expanding yeah. and approaching an IPO in, in 2000. So all from, you know, 97 okay. to 90 to 2000. But just you were his employee then, right? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Working directly for him. Yeah. And then by the time, you know, we do the IPO year 2000, I mean, uh, anybody that's old enough to remember, you know... 2000 was the worst time you could possibly do an IPO. It's when the stock market completely collapsed due to the um, dot-com bubble. And and so we had no, we did everything. We spent all the money, market makers, the whole nine yards. We came out, the whole thing. It was just a total mess. And we lost a lot of money. Uh, Mm. We were struggling to survive. I remember looking back at it years later. And it was like, you had to come up with negative. We had had actual cash of $30,000 every month for five years that we had to find that we didn't have. And Mm. he did that. Tom, Tom figured that out. So we're in the midst of that between 2000 and 2005, I'm at college thinking, I better get my degree because this thing looks like it's going down, right? The ship <laughs> is going down here. Options, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, plan. So, <laughs> yep. and so, and then, and then I become a believer and now yeah. I'm looking at this organization. And let me just tell you, you know, uh, from 1991, when I first started in the organization till 2002, when I became a believer, let me just tell you, um, I was part of making a culture that did not honor God at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was a huge contributor of that. I mean, some of the things we did were just embarrassing, right? That mm-hmm. would make me red in the face. I would fire myself, frankly, if I was if I was who I was now. And so, I assume Tom um, wasn't a believer then. He correct? was not. Yeah, yeah, he was not. Yeah. And uh, and and he had a lot of good qualities, and you sure. know, he just. A lot. He should be a believer. I always tell people that Tom should be a believer for the ways that he's acts, puts people first. Mm. Just a lot of things that he does, but he just doesn't. He said some uh, stuff in his past, I guess, that you know prevent that from happening with mm-hmm. him. But that's the Holy Spirit's job. We'll let him work on that. Right. Right. Um, so moving forward, you know, 2002, I'm in the organization. Um, you know, it's a mess. I come out of college. It's a mess. Carol, our COO, uh, she's you know she's like this is a mess, and she had a lot of money invested in well as well. And you know, this is my I'm new to this, you know, being a believer kind of thing. And so I'm praying every day and I'm really in the word. And Mm. I just got this sense that, you know, this is not something that God wanted to end and that there's a solution and that we could Mm. get it fixed. And so, I mean, that was the mission for initially, you know, you talk about your calling and your career. 
I mean, I really felt called to, you know, not let this whole thing collapse. Yeah. And so Carol and I just went on the road. We took over operations. Tom just dealt with financial and, you know, all of that. And, and now, did you go public operations. in the end? It, or, or did you no, know? it no, completely okay, failed. Yeah, yeah, it completely failed. Which is so probably a good thing in, in Oh, hindsight. yeah, in the hindsight it is. So we yeah. floundered for that from 2000, 2005. And Carol and I went around and, you know, it was, you know, surprisingly really simple what it took to kind of start getting the facilities back on track and getting uh, money coming in and those kinds of things. So we got ourselves out of the negative cash flow position in 2005. And I felt like that, yep, you know what, that's it. I'm kind of at the end of what I, my obligation was, you know, here. I felt like released from that. And, uh, and then, uh, and I thought I looked at the position cause I, you know, I've always thought I wanted to be the president up until 2000 and then, you know, until 2002. And I looked at the position and thought, I can't, I can't do it. Cause I thought I had to do it the way Tom did it. And right. Tom is amazing individual, right? Like, but back, back to the whole, Hey, you put somebody on a pedestal and there's flaws in their life. So he's not right. perfect. Right. And uh, I was thinking, gosh, I just don't want to become that, right? There's some things in his personal life and those kinds of things that I was just like, mm -hmm. you know, relationships with family members and stuff. I just couldn't do it. And then I had trouble saying, how do I, you know, I felt really, um, you know, duplicitous facing into an organization of culture that I helped create that was a mess. And so I just turned and said, God, I don't think I'm called to do this. And I started mm. even looking at becoming, um, my wife was an Episcopalian and so Anglican church and looking at, you can be married as a priest there. So I wasn't Catholic. And uh, so I was looking at even becoming working, serving in the church. And I believed right. that lie for a while that if you really wanted to serve God, you know, to be a super Christian, you had to do that in the church or be a missionary or something along those yeah. lines. And I believe that. And then, uh, and then God, God, God straightened me out in 2006. I listened to a um, podcast uh, from a graduation ceremony for Abilene Christian University, mm. and this gentleman was a CEO of a company, and uh, he, I think it was Mac Tools, I think. And he just explained how he kind of came to the same point that I did in his mm. career, where he was a Christian and he was working for this organization. He felt like now he's a little bit smarter than me. He at least knew that he could stay in business because he thought he had to go work for like a Chick Fil A or somebody that would honor right. God. Right. And then God just basically made it real clear to him was. I put you in this position for a reason and I expect you to do with, you know, use this position to honor me mm. somehow. And it was like, I remember exactly where I was when I listened to that. I was at the Austin airport driving there to pick somebody up or something in my car and I'm listening to this. And I just was like, that's the answer. I'm supposed to be the president. And so in yeah. 2006, you know, I mean, I, if you'd asked me before I listened to that podcast, Tom had come to me and said, would you you know, be interested in being the president? I'd have told him, no, listen to the podcast. Sure enough, 2007, wow, the very pivotal. next year, Tom comes to me and says, hey, I'm interested in transitioning. I just don't have anything left after this whole IPO mess and everything like that. I'm just burnt. And I need to retire. And so from 2007, 2011, we worked on a transition and then yeah. officially took over in 2011. Like on the, you know, you have to, you know, make, it's a, it's a C corporation, right? So you have right. to announce it and do all this. But in 2009, I was probably running most of the organization by 2009. So my footprint or my thumbprint on the organization really starts in 2009. Uh, officially, I became the CEO in 2011. Tell me about the, the first steps you started to take as you wanted to uh, and tried to, or, or were successful in obviously ultimately integrating Christ into the business. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. So C12 was uh, just a huge help in this particular yeah. area. So there's when a, did you become a member of C12? Uh, 2011 was my very, I went to a, 
like in November, I went to my first 2010 November. I went to a first meeting, but I didn't actually become a member until 2011. So, and and just for those of you that are listening that don't know C12, C12 is a peer advisory group for Christian business owners, kind of a, a vistage plus Christ, as my uh, that's best my, my chairman says. Yeah. And uh, I've been a member since October of 17. So you 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 trumped me by a few years there. there you go. But it's had such a major impact on so many men and women that own their businesses and really want to live that out in the marketplace. So yeah, that's awesome. You got involved. How did you find out about C12? Well, so that that's a God story unto itself. In yeah. 2006, you know, I get this call through this podcast to say, hey, I want you to do this. But just, you know, I always look at David when he got called and was anointed to be king versus when it actually happened. Like there's right. a gap there. And then that's how right. is the other that's thing? Right. And so from 2006 to 2010, I just floundered. I had no mm. idea, right? I was like, God, I know you want me to do something, but what am I supposed to do? Mm. And I couldn't, couldn't get any traction anywhere. And I was, and I always read, there's only two magazines I've ever read, right? One was Fortune and the other one was, Harvard Business Review. And I was in those back, yeah, I was just desperately in the back part of it, like where all the little business card ads and those types of things are. I don't know why. And I came across the um, the C12 uh, oh. ad and it just said oh. something like, are you having trouble aligning your faith and your work? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> just, yes, I am. Like, Good we question. Can help you with that. Yeah, <laughs> we can help you with that. I'm, and they swear, I mean, you go ask them, they'll say, we've never advertised in those two magazines. So I don't know what you're talking about, but I saw it. I don't know what. That's anyway, awesome. so yeah, so I joined C12 in 2011. And you would think yeah. problem solved there, but uh, still no. I mean, Take I, some work. I, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. And then in 2012, uh, I think my board was fed up with all the excuses that I had continuously put forth. On you know, I'm a we're I, my organization. I report to a board of directors. The organization right. was founded as non Christian, right? Like they didn't sign up for this. All the shareholders, all that type of stuff. They, this is not what they signed up for. A lot of the people that were around me and my board were. They were either founders or they were 100% owners of their organization. Sure. So it's like, you know, you want to make your, your Christian, you can do that. Just go ahead. Right. And, uh, and so I struggled, you know, with that and uh, a lot of fear there, but the reality was, is, you know, it was just lies and I could do something. I mm. couldn't do you know everything, but I could do something. And one of the guys finally said, look, I'm so sick of hearing what you can't do. He's like, look, <laughs> 2012, Barney Randall says, I want you to put a deliverable this month um, that, that you make a commitment this month to us that you will do, you will know, you will officially let everybody know where you stand when it comes to belief, right? You yeah, find a way your to C12 do that. Uh, no, he was just a member. He was just member? one of the okay. members. Yeah, he's just a member. And uh, just wise guy, right? He was yeah. just a super wise guy. <laughs> and uh, and uh, anyway, so he he made me make that commitment. And the, the thing that I uh, realized was, is it was real easy for me you know, I prayed for everybody in the organization. Mm. Uh, you know, I had the list of all of the employees and I would just pray over them three, four a day, something like that. And I realized, mm. you know what? I should just ask them if they have something that they would like prayer on. And that does two things. One, it basically notifies everybody that, holy cow, look at Gary's Christian. You know what I mean, so I'm kind of coming <laughs> out of prays. the closet. Right? Yeah. <laughs> He's coming out of the closet with that. And so, um, you know, and I would love to say, it sounds so simple, right? Just send an email yeah. to everybody in your organization, including your, you know, uh, not the customers, but to the, uh, also to our vendors. Right. But it sounds so simple, but it was really hard for me. And I mean, we met like on Wednesdays and I swear I sent that email on Tuesday night just so I would make the commitment that I made to them. <laughs> but it was a lot of fear and it was a very simple email. just like, hey, you know, uh, I pray for everybody. Uh, just thinking if, if there was something you would like prayer on, please just email me and let me know. I'm not trying to like convert you into coming in my religion. I 
I pray because I care for you. And that's how I show that I care. So if you would, please just send me things. And uh, it was really cool. Uh, I was fearful that I would get a lot of pushback right. from people like, oh, you're trying to make this a Christian organization. And are you going right, to, you're going right. to push out people that aren't Christian and, 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 and I did eventually deal with that. But in the beginning, it was just an un, un overwhelming response of prayer <laughs> You probably took request. them by surprise more than anything else. Well, yeah. And, and they were, I mean, the stuff they were sending me was so personal, so intimate, oh, great. great. It's just their prayer requests were amazing. Yeah. And then the, some of the ones that hurt were like, wow, I didn't even know you were a Christian, right? Like, so, so, you know, a lot of those. And, yeah. and so a lot of prayer going on there. But I mean, eventually, you know, I did have to face into that, that pushback, but, mm. but, uh, but not at that moment. It was just yeah. overwhelming affirmation that, you know, this was the right thing to do. And yeah, had you bought that. Tom out by that stage or were you no, on kind of a payout no, plan or? There's nothing. It's, it's a, there are 75 shareholders in the organization because okay. we did the uh, IPO thing. So yeah, everybody's still kind of status quo is to, to, uh, you know, we just have all those shareholders and Got Tom's it. one of them. And so am I. So yeah, yeah no. So you're an elected representative, not a, Correct. Not a full owner in that respect. That's right. Yeah, That's right. And sure, so, sure. yeah. So Mike Shero, who was not the CEO of C12 at the time, he was just mm -hmm. my chair. And uh, he had said, well, wh what are you afraid of? Like, why are you afraid to even take a step? And I went, I thought it's because I don't want to lose my job. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> and that makes no sense because God appointed me to this job. So I'm just like, yeah, you're right. That's just stupid. And so then I sent the email and, and then it just snowballed from there. I mean, we've done quite a few things since then, but uh, it really was the email that kind of triggered everything. Yeah. How would you say your leadership styles evolved over time, Gary? Uh, you know, I, I think the biggest difference between who, it, it really is just about that transformation and yeah. being becoming more and more Christ-like, right? Just kind of mm -hmm. trying mm -hmm. to be more and more like him. And the thing that I noticed early on in my career was, we got to get this stuff done, right? That's what we need to do, guys. Like, in order to win, we have these number of tasks to achieve. We achieve those tasks, we win, get it done. And anything yeah. else, waste of time, right? If we're not doing the task, you're not talking to me about the task, you're not giving me, that's a waste of time, let's move forward, right? So mm. very task-oriented leader. And, uh, and, and then once I became a believer, what I realized right away was, Jesus Christ was about relationship, right? He was wanting right. to have a relationship with me. He was always in relationship, going to parties, doing stuff, just building relationships all the time, right? And I realized like, holy cow, you know, and then it talks about in the Bible about what's going to what's gonna exist at the end of time, right? Everything's going to burn up and what is going to still be there? And I thought to yeah. myself, like, relationships are still going to be, I mean, I have a relationship right. with Christ and relationship with the people that, you know, that I that'll still be here. And so it's like, okay, I need to really invest in relationships. And that's mm. when it twisted for me. So instead of here's the stuff we need to get done, it's like, who can we get things done through and mm. what's the best way to do it? So I became less focused on tasks and more focused on people at that wow, point in time. That's great. Mm -hmm. I love that. And how many employees today uh, in the organization? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I would say we have about we 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 were a seasonal business. We get yeah, really busy some, in the winter. But W two and ten ninety nine. Yeah, yeah. So we have both, and so um, so W two probably uh, bounces around between one hundred to two hundred somewhere right. in that ballpark, right. and then you have the the ten ninety nine, or actually they're not even ten ninety nine. They're paid. The referees and scorekeepers are actually paid by the teams. So right. those guys right. are all. But that's probably another five hundred right there somewhere. In there. And Texas how many facilities now? Uh, 20, 24 locations. Awesome. Yeah, twenty four mm -hmm. locations. And still expanding. Yeah, yeah, we were always looking for something. So, yeah. what what would you say is uh, you know unusual or or perhaps unique about uh, let's play sports? Is, is it let's play sports or let's play soccer? How do it you is refer let's to play it? sports? Let's yeah, play it's sports let's play sports. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What would you say is unique about or or unusual about your culture? Well, I mean, I think, you know, nowadays, this, a lot of the culture actually still flows from Tom, right? So mm. one of our values is like kind of do the right thing, even if it hurts. Like we live by that value. I mean, I can't tell you how many things 
that would have been so much more beneficial for me. And just recently, even some insurance that, you know, we had an insurance broker come back and I already, he's, he, you know, I always get competitive beds every year and this guy comes back and I always tell him, Hey, I'm not moving unless you can make a difference between 10, about 10,000. We pay a lot of money in liability insurance every year. So if you're not moving the dial by more than 10,000, then don't even bother. He comes back to me and just, you know, okay, we can't do it. We're, you know, no, no, no. And then, and then I call the other guy and I go, okay, bind it, right? Bind it. We're going to go with you guys. Guy calls me back five minutes later. Oh, I messed up on your thing. (laughs) It's a $20,000 difference or a $30,000 difference. And I'm just like, whoa, I just said the words, bind it, you know? And I'm just like, ah, so I, you know, a little bit tempted. I hang up the call, call my C12 chair and just went, Hey, Dan, man, I just had this situation happen. And, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's like minutes. So, I mean, I could save the company $30,000. That seems like that's good for, you know, that's a good stewardship move. But, you know, I told the guy, bind it. And then Dan said, this is great. He's great. Great chair. He says, "Uh, well, I guess there's only one question to ask. And And I go, what is that? And he goes, what is Gary Archer's word worth? And I'm like, mm. okay, <laughs> I'll just, I'll go ahead and eat the 20, eat the $30,000. And, you know, so we stayed with the other guy, but that's, that stuff. I can give you story after story after story yeah. of Tom, you know, he lived that as well. He, he did that. Way. That's right. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then I'd say the, the imprint that, you know, we've recently, uh, that, that isn't necessarily coming from Tom that came from Tom and that's unique. I don't see that in a lot of other cultures. Like, um, you know, I've just seen a lot of just, really negative things. Um, but Tom's always been about putting him, putting others first, putting the organization first. That's from him. But right. as far as us goes, like uh, the imprint that like Carol and the, uh, the, the, this next generation of leadership has put on the organization and the culture wise is, I mean, we really do. Uh, we, we care, we care a lot for our employees. Mm. There's a lot of things that we do. I think a lot that uh, they don't even know that we do, mm. uh, for, for, for employees, you know, there's just so much that we've, uh, because of the, a lot has to do with the prayer, right? They're letting us into their personal right. lives. And right. we're do you do that on a regular basis? Or are you still asking for prayer requests? Oh yeah. I pray. Uh, mm. so, so, uh, the, the, that, that evolved into, uh, we send out, you know, a request once a week, that's kind of automated, but we pray twice a day. So mm. we have corporate prayer, uh, 8 a.m the morning central time and 3 p.m in the afternoon and we just everybody just picks an employee and we look at the requests and we just all kind of pray based on how we're led so cool what do you look for gary when you're making bets on the people you invest in oh yeah i mean the you know it's i have now gotten there's a uh there's a hiring process that i use now that is just so honed in i Mm. it's amazing and so there's only three components that I'm looking for besides the culture fit, right? That's a big one. And and that's a big one. And we have a way of measuring that. We even have a test that we give people to measure our culture. So number one, you know what I mean? Do their, do their values match our values, right? Because they could be an all-star, they could be a Harvard graduate and their values don't match our values and they're going right. to be bad for the organization. So right. that's number one. And then when you look at skills, right, there's only three skills I look for, for the people that work for me. And it's just like, you know, sales, you know, uh, how well do you manage and lead people? And, and the last one is, is just, you know, have you dealt with like any kind of operational, uh, event planning, those kinds of things. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, those are typically mm-hmm. what I look for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, Gary, you've been very gracious with your time and, and we're almost out of it, but I did want to ask one last question. We ask all the CEOs that have attended and, and that are featured rather. And, and, you know, that's kind of what career and life advice would you give to someone that maybe has their eyes on the corner office themselves someday? Yeah. Oh, I I think um, what I said earlier, which was, you know, um, you know, think about, I always tell them, I tell this to my children, relationships are the currency of heaven. That's what I tell my kids. Relationships are the currency of heaven. And that's, if you're going to spend your time someplace, you're never 
that's an investment always. And so spend yeah. your time in that, right? So, mm. um, yeah. And then the last one, this one just came to me through some reading the other day. And that was, you know, uh, this gentleman, it, actually it was Matthew Henry from his, you know, commentary. And he had said this, those who are the most eager for authority are the least able to understand its obligations, <laughs> right? And I'm like, that is, and it went by really quick because I listened to it on audio and I went, wait a second, that's a, that's a lot in there. Those who are most eager for authority are the least able to understand its obligations. And so it just reminds me, God put you, if you're a leader, God put you in that position and there's a reason he did it. And you got to seek that reason, not your own, right? So if you're seeking what you're seeking to become a leader, you better check why you're seeking to be there. So figure out why you're there. And if it's about God, he put you there for a reason, seek him and he'll give you the answer. Amen. Well, Gary Archer, president of Let's Play Sports, thank you so much for sharing your career journey and importantly, how Christ played a role in your success at uh, Let's Play Sports. Oh yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.